Hey guys, David here. So for those of you who call Karamdeo your home church, your spiritual family, uh, what I'm going to be presenting here in the next 30 minutes or so is in some ways kind of an overview and outline of the culture and values that we feel like the Lord has led our community in over the last few years. And then also some of the practical outworkings of how we're sensing the Lord lead our church to live those values out during the next year. So some of you were at a meeting we had in June, getting feedback and, and sharing some of this, but it was a little ambiguous, a little vague. And so my hope today is just to clarify that. And so really simply, I'm going to start, I'm going to give a little intro word and encouragement on discipleship. And then I'll be walking through some of the gathered rhythms and the purpose of that. So like right now, for the month of August 2020, we are in a season of gathering for five weeks. So I'll outline, clarify what that means. And then for the fall, September till about Christmas, for three to four months, we're encouraging our church body to scatter out into smaller rhythms of community um, and spiritual family. So I'll also walk through that. And then I'll close by just outlining probably five of the most common questions that we've been getting from people in the church. So I'm going to hope to do that in about 30 minutes. And I hope this is helpful for everyone. And I'm recording these things just for convenience. So for people in the church family to have reference to this. Um, so I hope it's helpful. I'm just going to pray to get us started. Yeah, Father, we thank you for this church body. We thank you for the friends and community that make it up. And we thank you for the church and community here in Denver as a whole city. And um, yeah, Lord, whatever is from you, whatever is wise and good that you've been teaching us as a group of friends, um, I just pray that that would actually come to the forefront and the surface today as I share this stuff. And I uh, pray that you'd be speaking through it. And we pray, we pray that actually from this, you'd be prompting and speaking to those listening, that you'd be um, sparking little dreams and, and speaking little whispers of, yeah, things you have for us this fall. We love you very much, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Guys, well, I'm going to start. I just felt to start by sharing a little quick word from Romans 8. So I'm going to be talking about lots of practical things today. And I just felt really kind of convicted to hold before us a little bit more of a heart piece to start. And so the comes from the scripture, Romans 8. And in many ways, Romans 8 is it's just a beautiful piece of literature on the one hand. But it's it's the Apostle Paul's almost manifesto of the how to from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, many people would say, is a core distillation of like the essence of Jesus' vision for the kingdom of God on the earth, for what it means to be a human, how we are to live, starting with the Beatitudes and then going on through a bunch of teachings where he's kind of reframing a lot of Old Testament teachings and themes um, and what those actually mean and, and what God's heart and desire actually is for those topics under the New Covenant. And the New Testament. So I like to joke that uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we should just append right onto that Romans 8. And this is Paul's interpretation of how the Sermon on the Mount works out in the life of the believer. And Paul is juxtaposing kind of himself as a Jew. He's trying to make sense out of how the law still applies slash 
is now changed or shifted in light of the life and teachings of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So Paul's whole message here is on moving from life under the law to life in the Spirit and through the Spirit. And there's, man, I wish I could just read it all, but I don't have enough time. Um, but there's just a few kind of key phrases I want to I want to read out of this chapter. So, especially starting here in the middle, Romans 8, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that's a key line there, this glory of God that's being revealed. And if we continue on a little further down, all the way down to verse 28. Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined. And a lot of us, especially if you're at all like me, prone to philosophical mumbo jumbo and theoretical thinking, we get hung up on those words of foreknowledge and predestination. But the most important part of this verse, this sentence that Paul is saying is what comes next. He, re- he writes, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so this language is actually hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. It's hearkening back to the concept of the Imago Dei, and, and which is, finds its, you know, Adam is the the first man and Jesus is in a sense the true man the true human he's he's the fulfillment of the imago day that uh, maybe Adam and Eve you could say failed to fully realize the potential that was given to humanity so God came to the earth to do what we couldn't do so that gets into a lot of fun theological side stories but my point in leading with that is um, at our church at Karam Deo we like to um, you know, Matt always says that um, we like to prioritize the process of discipleship over church planting. The goal is not to create some organization or some large sexy event that gathers mass amounts of people. And of course, we hope as years go on that more people join in this movement and this discipleship spiritual family that we're creating here in Denver. But fundamentally, the goal is not to create a church. The goal is to produce disciples. And, and so that always begs the long, complex question of what does it mean to be a disciple? And, and I think these verses in Romans 8 are, are pulling on the themes that we want to actually highlight and remind us to and call us back to before we talk about all these practicals. What is the goal of the Christian life that Paul's talking about here? It's not simply to attend good events or to be nice people. Um, It is that, sure, God wants us to be loving to others and treat others with grace. But Paul is conceiving of here 
something more tangible and real than just simply um, becoming a nice person psychologically or just knowing in your heart that you're a child of God. Paul is talking about glory being revealed through us, right? He's talking about the slow process of transformation and change that ultimately Paul's longing and waiting for, and he references this all over his letters, he's longing and waiting for a day when he is resurrected like Christ, right? There is a there's both a emotional, psychological component to becoming like Jesus, but for Paul, it's much more literal. He's longing for the day when he will become as Christ is, as the firstborn among the family, the children of God, the firstborn of a new creation where Christ is resurrected to new life um, with an eternal body. So again, I'm holding that before us because a lot of the rhythms and things that intentionally that we're creating for our community here um, they'll raise a lot of questions there'll be a lot of unknowns and there'll be probably hard difficult things that come because of these rhythms right it would it would be much easier to just do traditional event church-based gatherings um, and and just I want to remind us at the forefront of this conversation that from our reading of scripture, the goal is not simply to attend nice events. The goal is actually that God would change us. And so keeping that goal in mind, being confronted with tough questions or harder circumstances or being stretched out of our comfort zones, it actually aligns with that goal of being formed to be like Jesus. Um, but if your goal is not that, if our goal is different, if our goal is to have really nice services provided for us or um, not be challenged or pushed outside of the boundaries of our personality types or our comfort zones, then um, a lot of the rhythms that our church has practiced in the past years and probably will continue to practice will feel uncomfortable. So the summary here is we're, we're going after forming a Jesus people, not simply planting an organization or a church. And, and this was really pressed on my heart the other week. We were talking with a friend who's really like a citywide pastor in Denver. He's been doing ministry here in different contexts for 25 years. And, and he was just kind of lamenting to Matt and I that in his 25 years, he's yet to see a church community really meet the culture present here in Colorado and is specifically in Denver where it's at and learn how to consistently produce like vibrant disciples, vibrant Jesus people. And he, he just, he said, I've yet to see a church crack that code. Um, and now I'm not sure if that's exactly how it works, that there's a perfect recipe or if we get the rhythms perfectly right. But I think again I hear that and Matt and I immediately finished that lunch and we went into a prayer time for before a meeting and it was just like a casual little prayer time and and I just started praying out some of um, what our friend had been saying and and just started weeping because again I just felt the conviction and the the presence of God on like oh that is so right the goal of church planning is actually not to produce a church the goal is to the church becomes the collateral damage or the side effect that happens when you create a Jesus-like people, a people who are continually seeking to live their lives, emulating their king. Um, so this is what we're going after as we dive into all these rhythms and practicals that um, we would become people who are 
yes, know that we're beloved children of God, but not just that we believe in God, and but, but so much more that we would believe what he thinks about us, that we'd be filled with the Spirit, that we would lead lives of holiness, that we would lead lives free of fear, a life that would reveal the glory of God in the midst of our sufferings, a life that's being conformed to look like Jesus. So, um, I think over the years, Matt and I have come back to two fundamental values or almost key teachings that we're going to be delivering in the next two Sundays um, uh, that help kind of flesh out what does it mean to be a disciple. And the first one, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is consistently trying to hear God's voice in all of life. And then the second thing is one who participates in bringing the kingdom of Jesus, or as Matt maybe would call it, participates in kingdom mischief. So we're going to flesh those out in coming weeks, um, and then we're going to cap it off by talking about a concept we've been, been dwelling on for a while now as a church called a rule of life. And really simply a rule of life is is taking some time to reflect and be intentional about the way you're spending your time and your spaces in each season. And in a lot of ways, this we've talked about a rule of life for individuals, but this whole presentation I'm about to give on scattered and gathered rhythms is kind of us stewarding and offering you as a church family a rule of life. We're trying to steward you into almost making this a normal couple times a year you sit with your friends, with your family, with your spouse, your partner, and you reflect on what the Lord is saying for this next season of life because life changes and roles and relationships change. So um, yeah, so that's a lot of the aim here. And the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, even, even the name of our church, Karamdeo, means before the face of God. And I think it's a value of ours that we're always bringing trying to challenge this tension or this duality between the secular and the sacred. And I think sometimes we hear that and people think we mean we got to bring Jesus, got to bring the gospel into every facet of, you know, our life, our workplace and our families and education and these different spheres of society. And, and sure, on a basic level, I mean, I guess that's part of it. But I think the bigger paradigm shift is not so much that we need to bring spiritual stuff to the secular world it's to reveal this fact that um, everything is spiritual in the sense of everything we do with our time our money our resources the relationships we have um, the things we give ourselves to everything is discipling us or it's vying for our attention it's vying for our discipleship so it's forming us in some way and so the whole point of a rule of life is not not just to bring Christian stuff to a secular world, it's to realize that all of life is spiritual and all of life is forming us. So the question is not so much, are we disciples? It's who are we becoming disciples of? So, all right, I will now dive in. So I'll try and go through these pretty quickly. And again, if you guys have more follow-up detail-oriented questions, please follow up with Matt and I. Um, and in many ways, we'll be answering these questions along with you. So um, so the first thing we'll talk about real briefly here is the gathered season. So the gathered seasons we're envisioning here. So for the month of August, and then again around the new year, and then again next summer, and you know, again, we'll reassess in the year after. But um, these will be comprised primarily of two types of spaces that are more formally 
church spaces. The first one is what we'd call corporate seminars. So this is the celebration gathering. We've been doing these off and on for a few years. Um, these spaces are what your average person on the street, when, when, you say, or when you say the word church to them, this is what they think of. They think of a building and an hour to 90 minute seminar space where there is one or two people talking usually, there's some sort of corporate worship, um, a delivered teaching or message, and then there's some social interactions on either side of that gathering. So the irony is, um, we would argue that these spaces are no more church than any other space in your life, right? And so they're not, it's not that these gatherings, these formal gatherings that we often call church are more important than other spaces, but they do just have different aims and different goals. And these formal gatherings can be beneficial uh, for all their critiques. They also can offer prompting, stirring, they can confront us. Um, they can create a really approachable space for new people to come and observe a community and kind of learn what, it, what the community is about. Um, but the irony is at the end of the day, many of the most vital and important aspects of the body of Christ as the church, of the intimacy, the communion, the fellowship, the, the organic presence of God moving, um, the more people you have and the bigger these gatherings become, the more difficult it is to actually retain a lot of those qualities and things that we see uh, in the New Testament, in the early church. So, which again is why our model of church is de-emphasizing corporate gatherings and emphasizing the more organic, intimate spaces in smaller groups, whether it's two or three or 30 people in a home. Um, so that's the what, what these gatherings are. How they work, these corporate gatherings, I think we will continue to try and refine them and make them more dialed and, and essentially narrow in the scope of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so we've narrowed it down to probably five things that will dominate these corporate gatherings. There will be hospitality, prayer and testimony, communion and musical worship, and then teaching and preaching, and then often a space for response and dialogue. Um, they'll try to, increasingly, we'll try to keep them really organized, prayerfully planned and prayerfully led, meaning we might deviate from a schedule, but in order to honor people's time and because there's so many people involved, um, they will be more organized. And in general, they will be led by church elders and, and or small teams of people who have kind of committed to help lead them for a season. So why, why do this? Um, again, we're under no false pretense that large gatherings create disciples by themselves. The history of the American church attests to the fact that that is not true. But we do think they can foster a sense of unity, communion, and, and help communities really refocus on core ideas. There's for sure biblical precedent for small gatherings, and there's biblical precedent for large gatherings. In the New Testament, we see models of both um, happening. I mean, there's instances where Paul is preaching, Paul preaches so long that a dude falls out of a window and dies and has to be resuscitated. So if you think Matt and I preach a long time, um, there's, this is not a new uh, thing that plagues Christians or plagues the church um, or long monologues. So not, not to justify that, but just to say there is a place for extended teaching from one person who maybe actually is called or has a grace or a gift to be communicating. 
and we hope in the future to keep using these platforms of larger gatherings to develop others in those skills and gifts too. Um, so we could go on and on as well, Acts 2, Peter with a huge crowd, there's um, lots of examples in the New Testament. Um, and further, there's historical reasons that we want to, you know, try and honor church history and keep continuity with what's been passed down. And I, I mean, I always say, if, if we don't believe that the Spirit's been working through the broken models of our church history, then we, we don't have a whole lot of hope for the Spirit to be working and moving in whatever broken models and forms we're trying to come up with. So, um, so again, we, we never want to be entrenched unhealthily in tradition um, or anything that would quench God and what He's saying in the Spirit and how the Spirit's wanting to move. But neither are we going to be naive and think that, that those 2,000 years of church history didn't happen and um, that we can just go from Acts to 2020. So, And lastly, they create a different type of space that honestly, miss, missiologically, might be really uh, welcoming for some people, depending on their background. Not that, not that everyone's going to love coming to these larger spaces, but um, we also think for some people they might be a more approachable space to enter and engage the community. All right, so that's the first one, corporate seminar spaces. Second one is what we would categorize as preparation meetings. And really simply, this just means um, the prep work that is required to scatter into small groups well. So we're asking you guys as the members of this church community to be prayerful and intentional to plan for your scattering season. So this could be meetings with people who have led or done things that you're interested in doing. Or it could be you initiating with people who you might want to invite to join something you're leading. Um, and we hope that this will, you know, this planning will be born out of a place of trying to hear God's voice, trying to obey, um, a place of prayer and discernment. And in a lot of ways, it's going to be on each of you as individuals and small groups of friends uh, to initiate these spaces. We aren't going to be, you know, program them in. We'll try at the corporate gatherings to give space for connection and sharing ideas. And um, yeah, maybe if you're interested in a D group or if you're interested in some rhythm but don't know who to talk to, at these large gatherings, we can help connect you to someone who might uh, be able to help you out. Um, so why, why do these? Um, I think really it's the same kind of logic and and rationale of why why you pack or prepare before you go on vacation. Um, the the thing we've learned in a few years of church planning here is that things don't, especially good things, don't accidentally happen. So they require prep and time and energy and prayer. And so while we're gathering corporately in these seminar spaces, we're hoping that that relieves pressure uh, of gathering in. in during the, that season so you have more time in your life relationally to just network and connect with people um, and and I think the longer our community practices kind of these scattered rhythms will continue to clarify some of the, the scattered um, pathways or tracks or consistent ways you can invite people to participate and be part of what we're doing and I'll just say also the if that this this idea of preparing to scatter feels overwhelming our, our goal is not that everyone would be leading new things every time I mean there could be multiple years of your life where you just hear the Lord saying just participate just 
join in someone's home group or house church, join in someone else's discipleship group, join in a learning community that's being run on a specific topic, you know, join in these different rhythms that others are leading. And again, life is not static. So given different stage of life, um, different circumstances, jobs, family, kids, you know, your capacity will ebb and flow. And so that is part of the strategy of creating seasonal rhythms where we're inviting you guys to go in and check with the Lord. Um, if he's asking you to rest and just participate, or if he's asking you to lead and take a risk. Um, so preparation meetings, be getting food, be getting coffee, be getting a pint with friends and dreaming about what the Lord's speaking to you for the next scattered season. And then the scattering. So again, assuming these other two things have been in place, we we are kind of inviting you guys to filter that prep and your prayer and the, the way we even look at scattering in a lens of the three loves. So this is language we've used for years. Um, the three loves, again, are loving God, loving community, and loving the world. In many ways, it's kind of, it stems from combining the greatest commandment uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and then the second greatest commandment love your neighbor as yourself and then the great commission the last thing Jesus commanded is to go into all the world and make disciples so um, these three loves come from kind of those commands of Christ and in many ways I think are a distilled the distilled essence of what it means to be a disciple are following those two commands so we're inviting you guys to prayerfully kind of reflect and be intentional on shaping your life rhythms around those three commands, around loving God, loving community, and loving the world. So, not that this is in a particular order, but um, that first space, loving God, we could call devotional spaces. So, what are the spiritual rhythms and practices in your life that are that are giving you space to just commune with God? And... Um, yeah, those are more personal combos. And really that aspect of your rule of life is something that's probably gonna be years in development. You don't just jump both feet into 10 spiritual practices all at once. You kind of wade into these slowly as you discover what works for you. So if you, if you wanna have more combos about that, we have lots of great resources that we as a community have gone through. Um, there's a book some of us went through called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, where he talks about traditional spiritual practices like silence, solitude, simplicity, slowing, um, and different ones like that, simplicity. So, and then there's another great one we have that we've been, some of us have been going through called The Common Rule by Justin Whitmull Early. And I think his, his is a more um, structured rule of life, but it's really beautiful because he works in a, a busy urban city as a corporate lawyer. And so his life's crazy and he has kids um, so I think for a, a lot of working professionals in Denver, his book actually could really speak to your situation in life if you're a young working professional. Whereas John Mark Comer's book, he's writing from the perspective of a pastor. So there are certain aspects of his that just might not, his, his lifestyle and schedule is different than your average nine to five working professional. So those are two great resources I'd direct you to if you're wanting to creatively explore, explore devotional spaces, this loving God component. And also you could get coffee with um, anyone in the church who's been leaning into this idea of rule of life or me or Matt at any point, we'd love to talk. 
Um, the second one, loving community. Um, so these are communion spaces, right? It's where you're communing with the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They're spiritual family spaces. So what are these spaces? Um, this is where you continue to go deep and explore friendship with fe and fellowship with other believers. Spaces to be embraced and loved as you are. And also, hopefully, to be challenged, called out, and confronted for who you aren't and who God desires you to be. Or maybe who you are but aren't quite yet. Um, so here's just a few examples of things that our community has already been practicing for years of communion spaces, right? This is, again, what we traditionally think of as church spaces. So home gatherings slash home groups, um, or what a lot of us just loosely lump together and call house church. Um, so these are regular gatherings in the home of friends, fellowshipping, worshiping Jesus, engaging in prayer, studying and applying the truth of Scripture and the apostolic teaching passed down through the New Testament, sharing in communion, and it's a beautiful space to exercise, risk, and discover spiritual gifts. Discipleship groups. A lot of us have participated in these as well. A D group, as we often call them. This is a seasonal, committed, intentional space where you really dive deep into the commands of Christ and Scripture. Um, I'd say these are spaces that have high commitment, high challenge, and high love. Hopefully they have been for you and will be continuing to be places of vulnerability and healing um, as well as growth and, uh, and challenge. So, um, yep. I think then also maybe we could add to that intentional shared meals. So this might be a season of committing to eat with friends weekly. Maybe that's for the fall. You get three or four friends and you eat a meal and then you you do some prayer rhythms together, or you engage some scripture together. And in many ways, an intentional shared meal could be the seedlings of a future house church or home group. Um, it doesn't have to become that, but it very well could be. It's a great way to start building that sense of camaraderie and shared values and um, get to know one another in a deep way. Um, we've done a few of these over the years, not as many as we intend to in the future, but retreat spaces. These are intimate set-apart spaces with a specific aim or goal. Maybe it's a men's retreat, a women's retreat, a couple's retreat, a single's retreat, um, a youth retreat, a, a church networking retreat where we gather with other churches in the 24-7 network. And then lastly, courses and book clubs. So these are learning and equipping spaces where we are developing the mind, um, and hopefully we're doing that holistically. We're not just brains on sticks, but we're, we're pursuing the development of the mind so that we can become more mature and more aware so that we're better leaders for the different spaces we have authority in, whether that's in a formal church setting or in our vocations um, in society. And then lastly, um, we have missional spaces or loving the world. And honestly, these spaces are where we continue to engage people outside our existing relationships, where we aim to share and be Jesus in our world. This is really a big part of the kingdom mischief. Um, so some examples, your vocation, 40 hours a week plus. This is the primary space of mission and your contribution to bringing the kingdom and to culture in our world. Um, so teaching and, and reframing your work to be meaningful kingdom work. And in a lot of ways, this is the church embedded in society, or as, as um, some contemplatives call it, this is where the church 
gets to be the soul of culture, right? Where it brings the Spirit of God in touch with those who maybe don't know or love Jesus. Um, intentional people group engagement. So who is the Lord putting into your hands? Who do you have influence with? Who do you want to be influenced by? Um, these may be at times people who are really culturally similar to you. Maybe you love basketball and these are basketball players in your age demographic. Or I would hope in and out of season and long term that our church would grow to actually seek out those who are culturally different than us. That we would go and engage in spaces and practices with people who, who we don't rub shoulders with normally. And we'd go with a sense of mission to bring Jesus to them, but also we'd go in humility with, with awareness that, that we're still in formation and we need people to be on mission to us. We need to continue to learn and grow and change. Um, so some examples of what that could look like. How do you engage a people group, which sounds kind of intense. It could be really simply um, committing to do meals in your home and inviting new friends each week, different friends. It could be engaging in a new shared hobby a new club or society in Denver that you join. It could be throwing inclusive parties, inviting tons of people that aren't in your normal social friend group. Or simply it could start with going on committed, regular prayer walks. So picking a neighborhood, picking a part of town, picking a place where you can go and be present for an hour a week. Um, Or in some convos with people this week, they were brainstorming, what if I started shopping at a grocery store or a department store or going and drinking my coffee? in a neighborhood that is not my own, uh, in a neighborhood that's culturally different than mine. So things like that. And then um, I would also add to this courses and book clubs. So learning again can be a way that we go on mission as we try to expand our paradigms and expand the normal things that we've been interested in the past, where we seek to go and learn about others. So an example for me of this would be last year, our church did a nine month learning community on the history of racism in America. So that was an an expression, the initial seedlings of a bunch of primarily middle-class white young people going on mission to engage a culture different than their own, right? Trying to expand our awareness and learning so that we're more equipped to meet the needs and love people who might be culturally different than us. Um, And then the last one I'll put in here, we've done a lot of these as a church, Alpha Courses. So this could be a great beautiful way um, to invite friends to learn about Jesus. And maybe that's to relearn about Jesus if they have a bad experience with Jesus in the church. Or maybe that's to for the first time learn about Jesus and get a sense of what the church and community is all about without some of the pressure and stigmas of traditional churchy events. Um, And as I explain all those, I hope you guys will realize a couple things. First, most of us in our community have authority and experience in all of these. So it's not that we're presenting anything new, we're just simply organizing what we've already been doing and formalizing it into seasonal rhythms so that it feels more doable and we're hoping will kickstart more growth um, and multiplication of these things by giving clear timelines and starts and stops. And the second thing I want you to realize is that these three spaces, loving God, devotion, Loving community, communion, and loving the world, mission. They are not to be pulled apart and compartmentalized. In many ways, those three circles, actually, we pull them apart to to kind of assess if our life in our apprenticeship to Jesus is healthy and if we're balanced, engaging all three. But in reality, all three of those um, are like I like to draw often. 
the loving the world and loving community circles exist in the devotion circle of love to God. So this is uh, Matthew 25 where Jesus, you know, talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats and um, whatever we did to the least of these, we did to him. And there's this biblical reality um, that the way we treat people and the way we engage others is a devotional expression of our love for God. And we actually can encounter the presence of God in those relationships and networks. So an Alpha course is as much mission and loving the world and bringing those who don't know Jesus to know Jesus as it is the seedling expression of communion, right? Of church family and also an expression of devotion and love for God. So we separate these three categories more to help us be aware of balance but in reality, all three of them fall into this category of, you know, the heart of our Christian faith of devotion, uh, devotion and love for God and following Jesus. So, all right, that is the rhythms. Um, that was about 30 minutes running through that word and those things. Um, I'll now finish by really quickly just going through the five most common practical questions that we keep getting from people. So... By no means will these be definitive, thorough answers, but hopefully they'll give you a little bit of clarity and kind of a departure point for um, what an answer to this question might look like. So the first one, will I be isolated in the scattered seasons? Please, please, I hope not. There is no pressure on anyone. We are not trying to pressure anyone to go and start something new, especially alone, um, and especially without any other connection to existing community rhythms given personal desires, what the Lord is speaking, and capacity in different seasons or stages of life, you might find that the Lord's actually speaking to you to just rest and participate in existing rhythms. Don't start something new. That's totally okay. Having said that, if after two years, four years, six years, you've been just sitting and watching and participating, then some of your friends, I hope, are going to come alongside you and say, hey, it's time to step out and take a risk and try leading something for a season. Number two, how do I start a rhythm? Can someone join in the middle of a rhythm? Will the rhythms repeat? So again, I would say here, before trying to lead something, why don't you consider following someone else who is already leading something like that? So before going off and starting a D group on your own, Maybe you want to spend three or four months and hop in someone else's D group and participate, observe, learn by doing, and then grab a friend and try and start one the next following scattered season. Um, the question of joining in the middle, uh, simply I would say it's completely contextual, situational, and ultimately it needs to be discerned. So it's contextual because it depends on the type of space it is that has been created. For example, a D group, um, to stick with that, a D group is often a committed space where four to five people lock arms and say, we're going to go through this journey for the next five months. So for a new person to enter into that type of intimate committed space would probably be a little awkward um, if they came in the middle. Whereas a house church, maybe someone comes in and that you're in the middle of some curriculum or you're going through the gospel of Mark or something like that. And it might be a little awkward, but it's probably actually totally fine. Um, for someone to join in the middle of something like that. So again, you kind of need to take it by context. Um, and then you'll also want to check in on just the situation going on of what's the relationship um, for this person. Maybe actually jumping into some formal rhythm isn't the perfect thing. What if this person wants to join, but 
you just start by engaging them, that person in friendship, relationship, invite them to parties, invite them to shared hobbies with friends, invite them into your life, not just to a church air quote rhythm. Um, and then lastly, I would really hope that some courses, rhythms, different things like that would continually repeat. So for example, I think it's becoming more and more clear that um, the topic of racial justice and the history of racism in America and how the church has been affected by that, complicit in that. I think that's clearly coming up again and again as a value of our church that we want to continue to engage and keep at the forefront of our community. And so I can say that that a learning community around something like that will for sure be offered by annually or maybe even biannually each fall and each spring. Um, next question was, what are elders and how are they different than a core team? Um, really simply, the New Testament, so in some of Paul's letters, like 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and, and the Apostle Peter, and 1 Peter 5, first couple verses there, um, they use different words for this, for an elder. Um, usually the words in Greek are stemmed from words for servants or service. And, and in a lot of ways, elders in the New Testament are are people who carry a level of authority in the church and the qualifications that Paul lays out for being an elder is that there's certain ethical standards or moral character standards that are to be displayed. And then there's also a level of biblical competency or biblical integrity that's um, kind of assumed. So again, we could get into the weeds on all kinds of debates within Christianity on different doctrinal views. Um, but I think most Christians, Protestant, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Pentecostal, whatever the stripes and, and denominational background, there are some core doctrinal things um, that have been passed down and are pretty discernible, um, like the doctrine of the Trinity and um, some different, different things like that. So basically we want biblical integrity. We want people in an eldering role who, can, who have knowledge and training and um, and spiritual authority and discerning uh, the scriptures and passing on the apostolic teaching of the New Testament. And so in some ways, a core team, <laughs> a core team is like faux elders. So at the beginning of our church plant, if we could call it that, we had about 14 of us and we simply asked who wants to volunteer to have weekly meetings to pray for the community, handle some of the administrative kind of back end stuff and then try and prayerfully discern when larger decisions come along. And the five people who volunteered were Matt and Tanya, Katie and I, and Morgan. And so our core team has been functioning off of volunteerism. And the reality is eldership in a biblical sense is not simply volunteers, it's, it's appointed and validated by the community itself. So, um, which in many ways is the process our church is in right now of Matt and I kind of asking, we've been volunteers for years and most of us, most people in the community would, would say, yeah, Matt and Dave are the pastors, but we've ever never asked the community to validate that role and actually appoint us. And, and in some ways that's us coming to the community saying, we want to serve you in these ways. Will you appoint us so that we can do that? Um, so who can, uh, I think that's pretty good for right now, but Number four, two more questions here. Number four, who can lead scattered church spaces? So the simple answer is we're open for anyone and everyone to try and lead out these spaces. Um, obviously different spaces in the scattered season 
carry different levels of like leadership commitment, um, different levels of, of just time and investment. And there's even different levels of kind of, um, I guess I could say, you know, the, the stakes are higher for some. So leading a house group where it's completely inclusive and who knows who's going to show up and there's 10, 20, 30 people there, that is very different than leading a book club or a D group. So, um, yeah, but we're open for people. We definitely don't ever want to hold people back if they feel like the Lord's speaking to them to initiate and lead something out. And now within that, we are hoping to, over the next um, couple months here, establish some ways of having connection point with those who are leading these spaces. And so these might be in the form of weekly or every couple week meetings. They could be one-on-one. They could be small groups. But basically, if you're going to lead something, we would ask that you would establish kind of with some of the elders and the core team of the church um, a level of what we would call in 24-7 prayer advisorial submission. So that is kind of a relationship where you're entering into to give permission to someone to both encourage you when leadership is hard and also challenge you um, and, and pour into you in that way of sometimes confronting you. So our church eldership team is in this type of submission to the larger 24-7 network, to people like Adam and Julie Cox, Tim and Laurie Thornton, John and Mindy Peterson. Um, and so really simply, we would just say, if you want to lead something that is backed and pushed by the church community, um, then we would ask that you'd also be willing to receive feedback, input, support, challenge while you're in that position of leadership. And And this might sound a little harsh, but I guess I would simply challenge all of us that if we want to lead something without opening ourselves up to to criticism or, or feedback or challenge, um, then we might not want to lead for the right reasons. So uh, we'll leave it there and obviously more to be fleshed out. But the last one here is what is our church doing with money and tithing? So our church currently stewards a nonprofit that's registered with the state of Colorado. Uh, it exists in what's known as, from a tax standpoint, the church status. So we kind of exist in this gray zone between a, a official 501c3 and a church. And we are exploring right now, starting an official 501c3 that our church could steward. Again, just to be clear, the church itself is not a 501c3, but for certain reasons in the culture we live in, there are often um, benefits or there's incentive to, to steward a 501c3 so that we can have integrity as we you know, mediate finances. Um, so in the next year, really we're asking everyone in the community to prayerfully, that uh, meaning like ask God um, how much, but we're asking people to prayerfully tithe something toward the church functioning costs and development. So these finances will be used for three things. The first one is hospitality, um, curriculum and materials, rental fees for spaces. So they're just the operational budget, which we don't have a clearly defined budget goal for that, um, but that's the first part of our eventual budget that we will kind of build out. The second part, um, where Matt and I are asking for the first time in almost almost four years that the church would offer part-time salaries to free up our time so that we can continue to um, basically see this model of church that we have established and planted uh, multiply and grow and so that we can actually steward it with greater level of excellence and integrity. And then third, and, oh, and I'll just say, and we would hope down the road as the community grows and there's needs, maybe others would step into roles like that too for part-time income. 
And then thirdly, love funds. So this is just money to bless people with. That could be within the community or without it. And um, whenever possible, having said all that, we would encourage prayerful generosity to just be done directly. I think in a lot of ways it's, it's biblical and it's way more fun in all honesty to give money directly to people when there's a need. So um, a handful of people in follow-up questions asked about a budget or what salaries Matt and I would expect. And in all honesty, we have no idea, um, but we intend this fall to kind of start this process of establishing not only an elder team for the church, but then probably some people in what we would just call a, almost an advisory position or like a board to help steward and oversee the finances um, and help set some of those. So in some ways so that Matt and I are not necessarily the ones making decisions for money like that. So um, I think that's pretty much it. So my, my closing questions here. So again, that was about a half hour overview and then 10 minutes just going through the common questions. And then my closing kind of question for you, uh, whoever's listening is, what does this do in your heart? What do these rhythms excite? What do they challenge? Are you, um, do you feel anticipation about these or do they freak you out? And to sit in that and, and engage God in some of those things and those reactions and responses that come up in you. And then lastly, I'll invite, invite you guys to reach out to Matt and I if you're feeling the Lord prompt you in something. Um, again, we're not going to, we're trying to kind of hold this tension. We don't want to overly program events and make them artificial or unnatural. But we also do want this month of August to facilitate for connection um, so that you can get connected with the right people and that you feel a sense of equipping as you go into this scattered season. So if you're curious about any of those examples I talked through, so if you're curious about the devotional spaces of a rule of life, if you're curious about the communal spaces of home church, home gatherings, discipleship groups, intentional shared meals, retreats, or courses, um, or if you're interested or exploring different rhythms within the missional space right, of your vocation, engaging a people group, alpha course, or courses and book clubs. If you're interested in any of those, please come talk to us and we'd be happy to in a one-on-one -on -one, or gather a small group of people and help, um, help orient you guys so you feel confident to step out and try those things. So, all right, that's all I got. Um, we, as I said again, we'll be gathering every Sunday uh, in the month of August, so we hope to see you guys there. And if you ever miss a gathering, you can check out these recordings to get caught up. All right, love y'all. Be blessed.